All right, I want you to get your Bibles out a while and turn to the book of Luke. Uh, As Pastor Brandon said, we're going to be doing an Advent series starting next Sunday, so this will be our last uh, day to look at Luke for at least a while. Let me pray for us uh, before we dive in and ask God for his help. Father, we come to you this morning with worship and praise because you are worthy of it. You have uh, created all that exists. You cast the universe out into space. You put the planets in their orbits and then you, um, um, you populated this globe in which we live. Um, you created not just a place for us to live, but a place for us to enjoy. Uh, unfortunately, our first parents uh, turned and rebelled against you. And yet even then you weren't done with us. And we're so grateful for the good news of Jesus that we've sung about this morning. We're reminded of how much you have invested in us and that you have not turned your back on us. We're grateful for that. This morning, uh, as we talk and as we look at this passage, Jesus, um, where Jesus spoke and taught and then where um, he moved and ministered to people, I pray that you would um, open our hearts to hear the ways in which the Holy Spirit wants to um, speak to us. I pray against the enemy who wants so much for that voice of the Spirit, the voice of the Word to be silenced. And pray that you would bind him this morning, silence him, and that we would be um, ready, willing, and able to say yes to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone has said that for a man to truly understand rejection, he must first be ignored by a cat. Are there any cat lovers in here this morning? I'm going to apologize to you in advance. Um, a, a cat's basic attitude, I don't know if you see when a cat walks by you, if you have an objective mind, uh, when, they walk, when they walk by you, they go like this. Meow. And what that means is, when they go, meow, is you are so lucky to have me. That's what they mean. I've, been, I've looked into these things. Um, so a, a cat looks at its owner and thinks, um, there's just, I've brought so much good into your life. So for example, when I sit on your lap and I purr, I convince you that no matter what you saw in the evening news, all is right with your world. And when you pet me, I'm nice and soft, you pet me, and studies have shown that I reduce your stress levels when that happens. And for your girlfriend, you're welcome. Because studies have shown that 90% of women believe that men who have cats are nicer than men who aren't. So single guys, take notes. And last but not least, I very low maintenance. I clean myself. I take care of myself. You don't have to take me out twice a day like dog owners do so that their dogs can do, well, you know. And again, you are welcome. Now, if you've been around Keystone long enough, about, it might have been 14 years ago or so, uh, Lee Thurber's dad was here for a one-day seminar to uh, talk on cat and dog theology. Any of you remember that? Cat and dog theology. It's really great. And the book's still available. Uh, There's a homeschool curriculum for it. And one of the things that he said in that talk was that here's the difference between a cat and a dog. 
that a dog will look at its owner and say, you pet me, you feed me, you give me shelter, you love me, you must be God. But a cat, on the other hand, looks at its owner and says, you pet me, you feed me, you give me shelter, you love me, I must be God. This morning we're going to talk about entitlement and specifically about entitled, what I'm calling entitlement medicine. Luke chapter 17, listen to the words of Jesus beginning at verse 7. <clears throat> Luke chapter 17. When a servant comes in, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep. Does his master say, hey, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. And then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now, there's a heading in most of your Bibles, like there is in mine, before what comes next. And there's another kind of this break. But I'm, of course, we said this last Sunday, this, these were added well after the text was written, not part of the inspired text. So sometimes these headings break, things that should be kept together. And I think that's the case here. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done, this man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now let's start back at verse 7 again and talk about a Disciple that Jesus is saying should come to him, come to Jesus, and, ba and basically salute and say, Jesus, I am at your service, Lord. I don't know if you felt kind of a sting when we got to the end of that. And Jesus said, you should say we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. But I think some Christians in this day and age would feel that when they hear this. Say, wow, Jesus, you don't think much of us. Wow, you're not really you're kind of building us up. You're, you're kind of putting us down as if we're not really somebody important. And it's possible that when we read that, that we are con our confusion is, makes sense to us. After all, the scriptures make, uh, say some wonderful things about us. They say that those of us who follow Jesus Christ, that we are uh, children of the king that we are heirs to the king with a wonderful inheritance waiting for us in heaven. 
that Jesus left his home in glory and came to the earth specifically to rescue us. And he did it at great personal cost. The Bible says that we are now friends of Jesus. And the Bible says that we are host homes for the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's a lot of things that the Bible says are true about us who follow Jesus Christ that really makes us sound like we're here. And yet Jesus is saying, you come in from the field, you've done a hard day's work out there, you don't get to sit down with the master, you prepare the meal now, and then you're going to eat after the master's finished with his meal. And you shouldn't expect a pat on the back when you're done. You should simply say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Perhaps it's no wonder that there is a trend, certainly within American Christendom, in which we think of ourselves as the center of God's universe. That he orbits around us, fawning over us, thinking, what can I do for you next? This is a problem in American Christianity, I think. Some of you know what happened a, a, a number of years ago with uh, co-pastor at Lakewood Church down in Houston, Texas, um, Victoria Osteen. One Sunday morning, she, said, she got up and said, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. And so I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. And when you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen? And 30,000 people said amen. And I, I want to cut her a break and think, I get up here sometimes and I say things off the cuff, you know, and I think later in the day, I can't believe I said that. You know, you wish you could kind of reel it back in, but 400 people have heard it and other folks on the internet have heard it. And you're like, oh, oh God, please help them to forget that. And I hope that's what happened that morning. Because when I, I saw that video, I thought, are you serious? And we have some of this in American Christianity. I, I don't know that it ever started out to be that way, but as we have emphasized the, the admitted wonderful privileges that we have as Christians, sometimes we have elevated ourselves to where God is kind of going down here. And this is a wonderful reality check that Jesus has for us to say, no, 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 never forget that it is primarily about God and his glory. The end of the book of, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the end of Re uh, Romans chapter 11 says, for all things have been created for him, by him, and for his glory. And it's a wonderful counterbalance. And again, don't misunderstand here. God's, Jesus is not saying um, that you don't have privileges, but he's rather maximizing our responsibility so that we don't get confused about who is ultimately serving whom. This should drive home the point that Jesus wants us to look at our lives, how we spend our time, the things that we preoccupy ourselves, what we worship, how we spend our money and saying, look, you first and foremost have a responsibility to serve me. That means when you have a choice to say yes to God or to say yes to your best friend, who do you pick? Who are you ultimately serving? That when you say, uh, 
when you say, I, I want to live my life for someone, that someone should be Jesus first and foremost. He has, we have been saved in order to serve him. And we, we should be careful and thoughtful about the kinds of things that we read and the kinds of things that we bring into our soul that, that are um, kind of nourishing our soul. Because if they are very man-centered, we're going to be led in our Christianity one way. If they are God-centered, they're going to be, our Christianity is going to be led into a different way. We serve Christ. Jesus says, you should consider yourselves unworthy servants we have only done our duty and let me camp out on that line just for a minute the word there that's translated in your bibles and probably every version that is represented here is the word servant and the problem with that is it's a generic plain old garden variety greek word for slave doulos and it's interesting, unfortunately, there is political correctness everywhere. And it has been around for a very long time. And as far back as 400 years ago, there was, thankfully, a sensitivity among Christians about slavery. And we admittedly, as the people of God, have a checkered past when it comes to slavery. You see already in the early church a shift away from slavery. Paul writes this little book to Philemon, who's a Christian, and uh, has a runaway slave to, uh, named Onesimus, and says, look, he's come to faith in Christ. He's no longer your slave. He's your brother in Christ. Things should change now as a result. And unfortunately, we have Christians down through the years that have kept slaves and so forth. And, and so back in the early translations, even when the uh, translation of the Geneva Bible back in the 1600s, I think, there was concern about per, um, portraying followers of Jesus as slaves. And so frequently, frequently the word was translated servant, but it's slave. And let me give you an illustration of this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6, which teaches slaves how they should conduct themselves <clears throat> now that they're Christians. Ephesians 6, verse 5, says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Now, there's no waffling here about the word slave because it, we understand it's speaking to slaves in the Roman Empire. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. But now there's a linkage with serving Christ that Paul makes. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you, why? Because you are first and foremost a slave of Christ. As slaves of Christ, same word, doulos. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Now, I think it's important to resurrect that word, especially in this text, because Jesus wants us to understand, look, you, when you said yes to me, that means you are all in. A slave didn't have any choice but to be all in. He did what the master wanted, when the master wanted, in the way the master wanted. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is exactly what Jesus died to save you and me for. So that you and I will say yes to Jesus 
whenever he calls us for whatever he wants to do whatever he wants in the way he wants it done. In other words, your hour here this morning or your two hours here this morning, whatever it is, this is not your kind of gift to Jesus. You're a slave. That means you are on duty 24-7, all day, all week, all month, all year. You and I have been called to be slaves of Jesus Christ. Now, it's very unusual slavery because the master loves us, and in many ways he serves us, certainly not the least of which was his dying for us on Calvary. But we don't just offer him a little token here and there and then go on our ways. We are all in, all in, all the time. You can say amen if you believe that, but you don't have to. All right. I want to show you one other thing here. Uh, let me go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. <clears throat> Verses 34 and 35. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? Now, again, if you have been here any amount of time at Keystone, you have heard me say on more than one occasion, God owes us nothing. At least in a positive sense. The one thing that God owes us based on our sinful heritage and our sinful practice is his wrath. He owes us hell. If he has saved you and turned his wrath away from you and bestowed it upon his son, Jesus. That and everything else is a bonus. That and everything else is a bonus. Again, who has given to God so much that he needs to pay it back? He owes us nothing. Now, whether or not we believe that shows up in how we handled adversity. When a loved one dies... When you get diagnosed with a terminal disease, when you have a financial reversal, how you respond to God reveals whether or not you actually believe that God owes you nothing and that you are a slave of Jesus Christ. Don't misunderstand me. We all grieve, right? When things don't go the way we wanted them to, we grieve. We are sad. We are sorrowful. But some of us rail against God, don't we? God, how could you possibly do this to me? I, I can't tell you the number of people that I have talked with who are in the throes of adversity, and Pastor Charlie would tell you the same thing, who cannot figure out for the life of them why things happen like this to them because after all, they're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's only half of the story. We are slaves of Jesus Christ to whom God owns, owes only his wrath and instead he has given the fact that you have just drawn a breath that one and the fact that you drew a breath yesterday that one and that one the fact that you had the strength to come in here today the fact that you had money to put in the offering the fact that you have a job all of these things are not owed to you and me they are gifts 
And you see, that's why I think this heading that broke up the teaching that Jesus has about us being slaves to him, and now the story of nine thankless men and one thankful man should be linked. Because you see, if we think that we are owed nothing, then everything we have is a glorious gift that should stir up our thankfulness. And now let's look at that story where we have one man coming back to say, thank you, Lord. So you have 10 despised lepers. And I say despised because if you were a leper in ancient Israel, that means you were kept away from regular people. You didn't have anything to do with them. Because you were, a leper was a, in, uh, in Judaism, leprosy was a kind of a catch-all category. It, it included a variety of diseases, not just what we typically call Hansen's disease today. And some of them were infectious, hence the reason they had to keep, be, keep away from the regular population. And so if you uh, were discovered to have some sort of skin disease, <clears throat> you would have to leave your spouse. You would have to leave your family. No more going home for Christmas. You would lose your job, and you would have to stay in the margins of society. And so when Jesus made uh, this trip to, he's in the borderland, the wastelands between Galilee and Samaria... He's going to a village, and these 10 lepers call out to him. It says, at a distance. Why? Because they couldn't be with anybody else. And they call out to Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, there were instructions in the Old Testament about what you did if you had leprosy. Uh, the priest was kind of the medical examiner of the day. And so they were to go to him, and he would determine whether or not they were over their disease and could rejoin normal community life again. So Jesus says, go to the, see the priest. On the way to the priest, suddenly they were all healed, all ten of them. Now put yourself in their place. You have some dread disease. Some of you have diseases. Some of you not feeling well at all. Put yourself in their position and you suddenly, everything's back to normal. For some of them, it might have been 10 years, 20 years, even 30 years like this. And all of a sudden, everything's new and fresh again. And one of them, only one of them, thinks to go and say thank you. And you know, I've read this story over the years, time and time again. And my tendency when I read it is to say, you ungrateful bozos. And yet how many times I've been a week down the road, a month down the road, and realized some, God has done something wonderful in my life. And I'm like, shoot, I, I, I never even said so much as thank you. It's like I'm so enamored and, and uh, this wonderful new life. And it's like I forget this is a gift that wasn't owed me, but it was given me. And Jesus says, where's the other nine? Are we circling around him? Is this all about him and his glory? Are we kind of, he circles around us and we're better. And after all, God is most, he's most satisfied when we're happy, right? And so it's all, all about us and he's certainly glad to make us well. And, and he's not offended when we don't, everything is for him. Is there only one 
leper that bothered to come and say thanks? That's it? And he's not even a Jew? He doesn't even have the law and, and, and he doesn't know the living God and yet he comes back to say thank you. What's up with that? Pastor Stephen Furtick says that gratitude begins where my sense of entitlement ends. Entitlement's a huge problem in our culture. Isn't it? And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And now increasingly there's conversation about paying full, free college tuition. Our kids are growing up entitled. And on and on. But we can't point the finger at anyone else without seeing these other three fingers pointing back at us, right? And I wonder... This week, this week, Thanksgiving week, were we thankful or was it kind of a tip of the hat to God and we moved on with our business because after all, that's God's job is to give us lots of good stuff. Some of you who are parents, you've experienced this already at Christmas time and your five-year-old, four-year-old maybe opens up one present two presents, three presents, they push them to the side and they say, they look up at you, where's the rest? And you're like, that's it. There's no more. <laughs> and you would think that someone has just Touch them with a hot match or somehow done something awful to them. And you're like, you ungrateful little wretch. And yet they're just being who they were born to be. Self-centered, self-absorbed, self-serving little sinners. That's why God gave them you. So you could teach that out of them. And yet how much like, how much like those little children who don't know better, they can so easily be. Listen to James chapter 1, verse 17. <clears throat> Whatever is good and perfect... So you think about all the things in your life that are awesome. And, you know, we kind of start here and work our way down, and it's the way we should. I, so today's my 46th anniversary with this awesome woman. Yeah. That applause was for her, because she's the reason we made this. Amen. <laughs> And those are the kinds of things that we do think about. You know, we think about the big things. God, thank you for the, thank you for my spouse. Thank you for these children, these grandchildren. 
thank you for my house. You know, I have a warm place in the winter and a cool place in the summer. And, but listen to the rest of this. Whatever in good is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. That means our health. That means the clothing you have. When I came back from Asia the first time, I started praying, thanking God for sewage systems. It might sound odd, but I'm walking down the streets of Vientiane, the capital city in Laos, one day, and the sewage system there was put in by the French 100 years before. And it's just a basic uh, tile square that runs through the streets, along, along the streets. And if some of the tiles get broken, it's a communist country, they, they don't have the money for infrastructure repairs. And so some of the tiles get broken. I remember walking along the street and a couple of guys, or a bunch of guys were playing Sipak Takral, which is a, a blend of uh, volleyball and soccer. And the ball went out of bounds and rolled into the sewer where a broken tile was. And it's, there's raw sewage flowing through there. You can see it and smell it. He went over, picked the ball up, didn't wash it off in the ground at all. Just, they just picked up where they left off. And I thought, what an incredible thing that we have that I just take for granted. There's no, there's no uh, risk of cholera. There's no waste upstream from my drinking water downstream. Um, you flush the toilet and it goes away, never to be seen again. It's taken care of. It's distributed harmlessly in the environment. Clean water. So, I mean, so many, everything, everything that you have that's good is a gift. God didn't owe us any of it. It's a gift and should drive our thanksgiving and our praise and our glory to God. And again, sometimes we're so busy crying tears of sadness over what God hasn't given us that we fail to cry tears of joy over what he has. Now, in your bulletin, I want you to take it out uh, a minute and look at it. There's two inserts in there today. I put the sermon notes in there uh, because in the back I have a sermon exercise for you. I'm not going to have you do it now, but I want you to do it this afternoon sometime if you would. Just three simple questions. They're all check boxes. The first one is, in which of these ways are you a slave to Christ? And in which way are you not a slave to Christ? A lot of different things there. I love Christ's followers in our church and I serve them. Um, I quickly respond to God's leading. Um, I'm a slave to Christ in my entertainment choices. Um, I'm a slave to Christ in the way I drive. In the way I drive. In the way I drive. Okay. Number two, each day for the next seven, thank God for something he gave you that you never thanked him for before. And lastly, what does adversity typically reveal about you when it comes knocking at your door? Do I get discouraged, feeling entitled to something better? I don't like it, but I just hope things will get better for me. I still find things to thank God for and other options. So uh, do that this afternoon. Uh, not for me, but for you and kind of reorienting our 
thoughts and our minds and our spirits to a thankful one of the ten kind of men or women or children. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for so many things that you have blessed us with. And I, I pray for my own heart that I would be a, a man who would delight in what you um, have given me rather than complaining about what you haven't. I pray that I would um, live a thankful life no matter what adversity comes my way. I pray that I would, um, that you would be the center of my universe rather than me expecting you to be the center of my, uh, that I'm the center of your universe. And uh, most of all, we are so grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ who did not consider equality with you something to be clung to, but made himself nothing and uh, taking on the form of a servant, a slave, he became obedient even to the extent of going to the cross for us. And I pray that we'd live our lives just as faithful to you and as obedient to you as he was to you. In Jesus' name.